You guys can open your packets to page 14 and 15, and we are going to head into 2 Timothy chapter 2. We made it to chapter 2. As we get started here tonight, I, I want to ask you guys to humor me for a moment, okay? Can you humor me? I want to start off with an illustration, but to do that, I got to rewind us about two or three weeks ago, okay? Can you go back to the semester for this illustration? I know. Okay, there it is. There it is. There's the exit. Yeah, what I was expecting. Uh, I want you to imagine with me for just a minute that you're given an assignment by a professor. <clears throat> okay, it's going to get worse. Hold on. Okay, so your professor gives you an assignment, but they give you no clear goal. You, you don't actually know what it means to accomplish the assignment, what the finish lines are, what they're looking for. On top of this, you actually have no clear parameters. You don't know if they expect it to be a paper or a presentation, if there's visuals or a bibliography. You don't, you don't know what you need to include with this thing. You have no parameters for doing the assignment. And if it, didn't, if it couldn't get worse, you actually have no assurance, no clear assurance of how the thing is even going to be graded. Okay. I imagine, hopefully you've never actually been in a situation like that, maybe, maybe somewhat close, but if you've ever had an assignment that even markedly looks like that, it is or would be infuriating. It would be discouraging. And I don't know about you guys, but that would certainly be demotivating. That would be a very hard assignment to start or to persist in. Now listen, we've been looking at over the last two sessions that God has given Timothy through the Apostle Paul an assignment, and he has been unpacking that. But God does not leave Timothy without the details. And tonight we're gonna see Paul give Timothy clarity on what he is doing, the parameters or the expectations for doing it, and the assurances as he does it. In other words, Paul makes sure that Timothy is equipped for the task that he is called to, but that he also has the encouragement he needs to endure in that task. So I'm going to show you guys that tonight as we look at the mission, the perspective, and the assurances in 2 Timothy 2. So let me read the text for us, and we're going to get right, into, right, into, uh, right down to work here. So you can see it in your outline there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me just read verses 1 to 7 to start us off here. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, and it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We'll pause there. You notice as Paul pivots into chapter 2, he launches into giving Timothy clarity on what is the simple yet difficult mission that he is called to. And maybe you caught it in these two imperatives in verses one and two, he outlines for him this mission. Simply summarized, it's be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and then entrust the gospel to others. Do you see that in the text? But let me show you these one after the other. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you see that in verse one, there's a couple things you need to notice about the command there. The first is the task requires strength. The task that he's being called to requires strength. See, if Paul in the last section had to command Timothy 
to be unashamed of the gospel, to share in suffering, to follow the pattern of sound teaching and to guard or defend the good deposit, well, then there's an implication that there'd be temptations to do the exact opposite of those things. In other words, to shrink back, to fall away. See, those tasks that that I just listed out, that Paul uh, listed out in chapter one that Zach walked us through, listen, those are not for the faint of heart. And so this task, this mission requires strength. But it is a strength that comes from outside of ourselves. Do you notice he says, be strengthened by what? It's the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is not about muscling up willpower to press on through. This is not force of sheer will. Rather, it is a strength that is derived externally, namely from what Jesus has accomplished for us. See, Paul is saying that when Timothy is exposed to the grace of Jesus, it has a strengthening effect. The third thing you need to see about this is that it is a command. This is an imperative. In other words, he is saying, let that grace have its effect. Any of you guys ever get hangry? Hungry, angry? You know what I'm talking about? Now listen, when you're hangry, you are responsible for what you do. You're responsible for what you do when you're, when you're hungry, right? You are not free to act like a little goblin because you need a snack, okay? So certainly in those moments, we need to shepherd our hearts, but there is a reality that we also probably need the snack. To have the strengthening effect of food, that sort of restorative ability of food, you gotta ingest it. You gotta eat the snack. And you see, what Paul has already been doing for Timothy is laying out for him food for the soul. He's been doing this by reminding him of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you remember when Zach pointed us to it in chapter one, when Paul spoke of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you see what Paul is doing? He is giving Timothy the opportunity to ingest this grace and let it have its strengthening effect. Do you guys remember last night when Mark told us how Jesus' flame was snuffed out so that ours could burn brightly? Was your heart stirred? That is the strengthening effect of grace. As you guys have started, we just started this morning, right? The, The early bird worship. You're singing that passage I just quoted from. I will challenge you guys to watch that throughout the week, you will find that that will have a strengthening effect. See, let grace have its effect. Let it bolster you up and encourage you and strengthen you. Now, I wanna tell you where where Paul is going here in this passage. If you look at verse seven, he calls on Timothy. If you look at the verb, he calls on Timothy to think over what he has said. And in verse eight, I know I didn't read it, but you can look at it. In verse eight, he says, remember, call to mind Jesus Christ. See, again, Paul is providing Timothy opportunities to let grace have its strengthening effect on him. See, in the face of all that ministry weariness that Timothy was experiencing, he needed to be refreshed by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And friends, if you throw your lot in 
with the likes of Paul and Timothy and those who go about making disciples, you will need that strength of grace too. See, listen, I want you to understand, part of the mission that you are called to, part of the job, part of the assignment is being strengthened for the job, is for the mission. So keeping yourself strengthened by reading the word, by being engaged in church, by consuming biblical truth through books, podcasts, all things that expose you to the grace of Jesus Christ, that is part of the mission that you are called for. That's part of the job. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the first part of the mission. Let's look at the second You see in verse two, he moves outward. So if verse one is sort of what God is doing in you through the grace of Christ Jesus, then verse two, it begins to move outward. What you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. You see, the second part of the mission is entrusting the gospel to others. It's moving outward. Now again, look at some of the details of this command. What is being entrusted? It's what Timothy has heard from Paul. Namely, that's the gospel. All those things that he wants him to be strengthened by in verse one, the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you pass it on. Well, what is he to do with that message? It's to, look at the word, entrust it to others. Entrust it to others. As Carolyn mentioned, we have five kids. Our our oldest three kids are adopted. Uh, Our eldest son, Noah, he's 15, just turned 15. He has Down syndrome. One of the things we're working with Noah right now on is putting the dishes away. So we let him open up the dishwasher and start putting dishes away. I am entrusting our dishes to our son, which means part of the task is telling him this is the correct amount of force that you use on the bowls and the dishes and things. And this is where certain things go so I don't go to the cup cabinet and find spoons all over the place. We tell him, these are the dishes, here's what you do with them, here's where they go. We are entrusting them. And as he has been learning these things and taking responsibility for those things, there is some collateral damage, but he's learning. It's excellent. Entrusting that word means to commit something to someone else's care. It is handing that thing over to them. Paul is equipping Timothy by calling him to entrust, to hand over the gospel to other people's care. He's training somebody in the gospel. In other words, like I say to my son Noah, it's like saying to somebody, this this is the gospel. And here is how we handle it. And here's what we do with it and what we don't do with it. It means that we not only share the content of the gospel, but, but also how to rightly handle that message. But do you understand, this entrusting work requires intentionality. Timothy would actually have to choose certain people and then invest in them in order to train them to rightly handle the gospel in this way. Now that helps equip us too because it tells us what the core mission is. Friends, it means for us that the task can be understood as each of us committing to a few and equipping them with what we have been equipped with, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul gives us a little bit more detail about this part of the mission because he tells us who. Who are we to entrust this to? The reality is that we are limited. It's really lovely to be with you all this week. 
The reality is in all likelihood, I'm not gonna learn all your names. And I certainly can't be all your best friend. Sorry, guys. I love you, though. But it's just a simple reality that I am a limited person and you are a limited person. We cannot do this entrusting work with everybody. And so he elaborates on who by giving two qualifiers. The first qualifier he says is, you notice there, to entrust to faithful men. To faithful men, and the word, the word there could refer to men or women, so faithful people. It's who we entrust this to. Two of my little ones, Adley and Ellie, they love to play in my car. They love to pretend they're driving and all this stuff. So while the car is in the driveway, I say, the car is unlocked, have at it, go in there. So they jump in there and they're free to yank on the steering wheel. And then of course I have to reset everything when the blinkers are on and all this stuff going. But they're free to just yank on that steering wheel and everything. And that is fine because the car is parked. It's not going anywhere. Here's a simple reality, profound truth. You cannot actually steer a parked car. It's not going anywhere. Faithful means those who are clearly and consistently, consistently following Jesus. In other words, they are not parked. This gives us clarity into who and to how much to invest into somebody. Friends, there are those we should not invest in because they claim to follow Jesus, but by the pattern of their lives, they demonstrate that they are not faithful to him. They are spiritually parked. Rather, if somebody is already moving with Jesus, you have the opportunity to partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing, and in fact, you get the privilege of steering that a little bit, of doing spiritual good to them, of helping them in the progress and joy in Christ. So you invest in faithful people. The second qualifier is this. You notice, who will be able to teach others also. So faithful men and women who are able to teach others also. Paul didn't want Timothy to merely collect converts. No, what he's calling him to is to train co-laborers. See, guarding the good deposit would require that the gospel endure on past Paul's life. And in fact, it would need to endure on past Timothy's lifetime. There's an old Greek proverb that goes, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Think about it. There, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Do you realize that's what Paul is doing with Timothy? This is incredible. There are men and women that Timothy would invest in that Paul would never get to meet this side of glory. And you realize somewhere in the mix of that, we are all products of that mentality and that legacy. That somebody entrusted the gospel and trained them to entrust the gospel to somebody else. Who, trained, who was trained to entrust the gospel to somebody else and so on and so forth. 2,000 years later, here we are. See, that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. So I wonder if I can contextualize that Greek proverb, a fellowship grows great when upperclassmen make disciples of Christ whose fruitfulness they will never see. Friends, a core component of our investment in others is helping them to invest in other people, is training them to train others, is training them to tell others about Christ. So let me distill this, this mission down for us. Be strengthened by grace and entrust the gospel to others. 
Let me put this simply. Have you ever been stumped in discipleship? What do I actually do in discipleship? In one sense, Paul just gave us a clear mission for what to do in discipleship. Friends, if you have ever been stumped in a conversation, in a meetup, you can always ask somebody these two questions. How are you being strengthened by grace? And what can I do to help? How are you being strengthened by grace and what can I do to help? And secondly, how are you entrusting the gospel to others and how can I help? Friends, if you sat down with somebody and asked those two questions, that'd be good discipleship. How are you being strengthened by grace and how can I help? How are you entrusting the gospel to others and how can I help? That's the mission. That's the mission that we're called to. Now, certainly it is difficult, and that's why there's all this encouragement that Paul is giving Timothy, but the reality is it's pretty simple. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and entrust the gospels. But you see, what Paul does is he paints this picture for Timothy that he needs a correct perspective. See, this helps him to understand the expectations to know what's gonna come at him as he does this. To do this, Paul gives Timothy three illustrations in verses three through seven. He gives him three illustrations. You notice in verse three, he says this, share in suffering as a good soldier, there's the first illustration, of Christ Jesus. Now that's a repeated command. Do you remember he said that in chapter one, share in suffering. He repeats it. See, part and parcel of this mission of entrusting the gospel to others, it's gonna be suffering. A part and parcel of entrusting the gospel to others is we will suffer. He's gonna go on later to say, everyone who desires to lead a godly life will suffer persecution. It's part of the package. So to help Timothy embrace the mindset he needs to endure, he gives him these seri- this series of illustrations. Now what I wanna do to, to help us understand this and unpack it is actually show you two similarities that these three illustrations have. I'll be kind of the hooks to hang this on. The two commonalities that run through these three, three illustrations is self-denial and in the anticipation of a prize. Let me show you these two themes. I'll read it again, verse four. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So look at these, look at these three illustrations. First, let's talk about the self-denial evident in these. What does it look like to share in suffering? Well, one element of that is exercising self-denial. In the face of that suffering and hardship, the temptation would always be to do what he could do to avoid the suffering. So in each of these illustrations, Paul points to a way that the individual must deny himself in order to accomplish the task. Start with the soldier. He says that he cannot become entangled in civilian affairs. Do you see that? Or civilian pursuits. Now think about the the word there. The word is entangled. He cannot become entangled in civilian, civilian pursuits. Understand that being entangled in something is a lot different than being attentive to or concerned about your civilian affairs. 
See, entangled, that word implies being wrapped up in something, caught up in it like a vine or a cord. You get that imagery. Look, the reality is that we, and certainly Timothy, would need to deal with civilian affairs or civilian pursuits. Your school and your your career, managing money, keeping up your apartment or your home, resting, maintaining hobbies, good hygiene. You need to deal with these things. You need to deal with these things. But the question becomes, are we managing those things or are those things managing us? Are, Are we exercising dominion, to use an Old Testament word, over those things or are we being entangled by them? See, sharing and suffering means we give up the quote-unquote right to live for those things. Well, let me ask the question, how do we know that we are entangled in a civilian pursuit? I'd argue that it's when it takes over the mission, when it stops you from being strengthened by grace, the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and entrusting the gospel to other people. Look, I'll be honest with you, when I was in college, I was pursuing Jesus and was learning about throwing my my hat into this work of entrusting the gospel. But if I'm honest, much of my relationship with God revolved around the prospect of finding a future wife who's not a content single person. And the reality is it took up a lot of mental bandwidth for me. And so the mission of making disciples often had to jockey for first place in my life. The reality is I was entangled with this. It was something the Lord had to disciple me through and and change me and transform me. So friends, are there areas, are these areas, these other areas, these civilian pursuits, are they propelling you toward the mission or are they consuming and thus slowing you down? You need to take this mentality Consider the athlete, the second illustration there. You notice he says, the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Do you see there is a binding that the athlete goes through? The athlete is competing according to the rules. This self-denial means the athlete is willing to limit himself based on the rules of the game. Well, friends, likewise, the man or woman of God is willingly bound to what God has said, not just what we want to do. Friends, we will do God's work God's way. Paul called on Timothy, as, he, as we looked at earlier, to follow the sound, uh, the sound pat, or the, excuse me, the pattern of sound teaching. In other words, we preach the gospel and we've got to live it too. We understand and live as though Christ is Savior and, in fact, he is Lord or King over us. And so we submit to him as our King. Additionally, Paul was no stranger to people editing the gospel or resisting it or changing it to make it more acceptable. Rather, Timothy and subsequently all Christians, we teach the whole word of God, not just the parts we like or the parts that are culturally acceptable. So we limit ourselves. We compete according to the rules. Finally, the hardworking farmer, do you notice it's right there in the adjective, he is hardworking. The hardworking farmer denies himself the luxury of laziness for the sake of the harvest. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I have a garden. And to get those tomatoes, look, the only thing we plant are ingredients for salsa. That's what our garden is. It's a salsa garden. 
to get that garden fresh salsa, there are many slow, plodding, repetitive tasks to get the prize. Being strengthened by grace and entrusting the gospel, Timothy's task would require hard work, many slow, plodding, repetitive tasks. Do you ever find yourself tiring of applications in these talks being, read your Bible, go to church and pray? Well, that's the slow, repetitive work. That is the hard work of a farmer who is being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Have you ever found yourself tired of texts and calls and lunches and offering rides and Bible study after Bible study and patience with people as they struggle and choosing not to go out of sight, out of mind over the summer and following up with people and more calls and texts and everything? It is the slow, plodding, repetitive work of entrusting the gospel to other people. Friends, this will require us to put genuine hard work into being strengthened by grace and in training others. It requires that self-denial. And now see, Paul is equipping Timothy with this mentality, but do you understand he also encourages him with this mentality? And that's the other thing we need to see in these illustrations is that all three of them anticipate a prize. It's not just work for work's sake. It's work because there's a prize. There's a purpose at the end of all of this. Do you notice the soldier in verse four, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The prize for the soldier is the commendation, the pleasure of the one who sent him. It's as it says elsewhere in scripture, the day when God himself will stand over his people and say, well done, good and faithful servant. For the athlete, do you see it's the crown This is the winner's laurel bestowed on the head of the victor. Listen, my friends in the room who are athletes, why do you compete? Why do you do it? It's because you want to win. That's why you do it. There's a goal, right? The glory and exhilaration of victory. Well, see, Paul is no different. There is a victory that he is working toward and laboring toward. It is the trophy of victory that God himself, the righteous judge, will bestow on his faithful disciples. And this is what is promised to us if we endure in Christ. That's where this is heading. But look at the, the, the last one here, the hardworking farmer. He is the one who, is, who ought to have the first share of the crops. Check this out. For the hardworking farmer, it's sharing in the first fruits. Let me ask you a question. Do you want a life that matters? Do you want a life of eternal significance? Well, friends, the reality is that Jesus Christ has gathered together a merry band who is marching in triumphal procession, spreading the aroma of Christ as he goes. Do you want to be a part of the glory of seeing souls one for Christ and gathered into that procession with us? Friends, we cannot do that from the sidelines. We cannot do that as a mere spectator. We cannot do that of a crit- as a critic of those people who are actually doing it. We can't do that as a person making excuses for why we're too busy, too ill-equipped, too whatever to do it. Friends, it is the hardworking farmer, the guy who gets his hands in the dirt, who ought to share the first part of the crop. Do you want the joys and glories of seeing souls won and matured for Christ? Do you want even the kind of relationship that Paul has with Timothy that it's off the sidelines and into the game you go? 
Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and entrust the gospel to faithful people who will entrust it to others. This is the mentality, the perspective that you must take. Now look at what Paul does as he wraps up this section. He says this, think over what I have said, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now that almost sounds like a throwaway verse. Think about it. Next thing. But I think what Paul is doing here is actually rather profound. Paul concludes this series of illustrations with this command and this assurance. Think over these things. God will give you understanding in it. Command assurance. See, with these illustrations, he is encouraging Timothy to adopt a mentality, a way of thinking. In other words, it's not enough to passively know these realities and callings. It is critical that Timothy and we actually choose to call these things to mind. That we bring these things to remembrance and think over. This should be our expectation. Friends, as we engage in this mission, it will require that we deny ourselves, but there's a prize at the end of it. Well, look what he does in this last section. I'm gonna move us. That he gives him additional assurances. That he actually tells him where all of this is heading, what the result of engaging in this mission, what the result of taking this perspective will actually be. And that moves us into the second half of the passage. Listen, in verses 8 through 13, I want you to listen as we do this. I think Paul gives Timothy at least five assurances in this. Let me read it to you. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Five assurances as we throw ourselves into the mission. The first is this, Paul calls on him to remember Jesus, the risen and reigning king. Remember him. Do you remember last night, Mark showed us that the first thing that Paul reminds Timothy of was these realities about himself. And that was critical for him to know. But do you see what he's doing is he's now pivoting his attention and saying, I want you to stop looking at yourself and I want you to look at Jesus and remember who he is. There's two things that he specifies about Jesus. First is that he is risen from the dead. And why would Paul call this to mind for Timothy? Friends, listen, Jesus has already conquered the last enemy, death. He has completed the work of paying for sins. And if death couldn't stop him, what else could? But you notice, he is the risen king, but, but he is also the reigning king. Do you notice this is the second thing that he highlights here? He's risen from the dead, but he's the offspring of David. Now, why why would he move to do that? Why would he move to highlight that feature of Jesus, that historical significance of Jesus? Well, I wanna, I wanna suggest to you it's this, is that Jesus is royalty. That he is the descendant of Israel's greatest king and he is also the fulfillment of God's promise to David that there would eternally be someone from the line of David on the throne. You can see that in 2 Samuel 7, that's where that covenant is given, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. 
Now notice, jump down with me for a second. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, he says that if we endure, we will also reign. See that word? Reign with him. The implication of us getting to reign with him is he's doing what right now? He is reigning right now. You see, I think what Paul is calling to mind is not only is Jesus a risen king, but he is a reigning king right now. That is what Jesus is doing currently. In other words, friends, Christ is in control. He is not a losing king. He is a conquering king who is risen from the dead, is reigning right now, and he is marching in this global conquest. That is an assurance that Timothy would need to call to mind in the midst of this mission. And that is an assurance you need to call to mind. I need to call to mind in the midst of the mission. Don't forget it. Remember Jesus, the risen and reigning king. Look at the second thing. The word of God is not bound. That's in verse 9. See, again, the context, he says in verse 9, for which I am suffering, the gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul is suffering on account of the gospel, and he's therefore bound with chains. He is limited. He is limited in where he can go and what he can do and who he can see. He may have been branded as a criminal, though he's done no wrong, but that cannot stop the word of God. And Timothy needs to remember this because he too was facing opposition from others. Similarly, friends, our limitations, whether it be from persecution or otherwise, our limitations will not hinder God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish with his word. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, it's on your outline there, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Friends, listen, it's not your capability that accomplishes the task. It's not you, it's not me. Friends, it is his word that will do it and it is not bound. This is an assurance that Timothy would need as he engages in the mission and friends, this is an assurance that you need as you engage in the mission, don't forget it. The word of God is not bound. Thirdly, the elect will be saved. Look at verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because of this reality, Paul endures for the sake of the elect so that they will be saved. But understand this, look at, look at the word he uses for the sake of the elect, the chosen people, the people that will be saved. Friends, the reality is they are already chosen by God before the foundations of the world, and it is just a matter of God using his appointed means to get the gospel to these people so they will be saved. And so Paul endures. Friends, if God's word will produce salvation in the people that God has chosen, then Paul can persevere in confidence, and Timothy can too. And so can we. Scripture says that God will save whom he will save and nothing, 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 nothing can stop that. 
And that is why Paul endures. And friends, that is why he is calling on Timothy to remember this. This is an assurance that he would need to call to mind. It's one you need to call to mind as well. Don't forget it. Fourthly is this, we will rise and reign with Jesus if we endure. Now, if you notice in verses 11 to 13, as we get ready to wrap up here, Paul breaks out into this poem. Perhaps this is one of the early church creeds, or maybe it was a hymn that he's quoting here. But he says it's trustworthy. It's a good saying. You notice the first two lines in this. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. Remember, Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, risen and reigning. He says, us too. That's where we're heading. He reminds them that for those who die with Jesus, those that endure in the suffering that comes from following with Christ, then we are assured of the resurrection of Christ or that Christ experience too. Additionally, he is reminded that the result of endurance is that we will reign with Jesus. Reigning means kingly sort of authority. See, God in grace is preparing us for an eternity of being what you could call co-regents, co-rulers with Jesus. Ruling over the new heavens and the new earth, exercising the delegated dominion that Adam and Eve had in the garden. And I don't know what all that's gonna look like, but I trust it's gonna be really cool. For Timothy in the moment, think about how this would hit him. He's wearied and perhaps discouraged And maybe he feels weak and feeble in the mission. Friends, as you look at your campus and you think about taking ground on campus, maybe you too can relate to that, feeling weak and feeble. How are we gonna reach these people? That we feel rejected and despised by the culture around us, but listen, you need to be reminded that this is where this is heading. You are going to rise in the same sort of resurrection that Jesus has, and you will reign with him in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. This is an assurance that Timothy needed to call to mind, and friends, it's an assurance you need to call to mind. I need to call to mind. Do not forget this. The last thing is this. It's actually a warning. Wish I could end on a happy note, but the reality is here it is in the scripture that he ends with a warning, and just as we need the positive encouragements, there is an encouraging effect that a warning has as well. So look at the last two lines of this poem. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Understand what he means here. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithful, understand what he means here. He is faithful to do what he told us he would do, even in his warnings. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So sobering words. So Paul is coming full circle. You remember, the calling is to share in suffering, which will happen as a result of following the sound teaching and being unashamed of Jesus and of the gospel and entrusting that to other people. A warning is perhaps an unexpected assurance, but it is an assurance. And Timothy would be duly sobered by that. And I think, friends, we need to be duly sobered by it as well. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. 
Friends, this is not some smorgasbord where we get to pick and choose what we want. Like a soldier, like the athlete, like the farmer, there are parameters and boundaries to our calling. Chiefly among them is do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to him. And friends, the reality is this is an assurance that you and I need to call to mind, and Timothy did as well. Don't forget this. Well, listen, guys, God has given us a clear mission. It's not easy, but it is simple. Be strengthened by grace and entrust the gospel, who will be to, entrust the gospel to those who will be able to entrust it to others also. To do this, it's gonna require we anticipate the self-denial it requires and the prize that is assured to us. We can do this because we know that God is good on his word and he assures us thoroughly of the results of endurance as we have seen. So I'm gonna give us a moment of silence to reflect on this and to ask God's help. And then I will pray for us that God would help us to be about this work that he has called us to. Let me give you a moment of silence. Father, we often take it for granted how much of a privilege it is that you would use people like us, that you would scoop us up into this mission and give us a place in it. I pray, Father, for my friends here tonight, myself included, that you would fan into flame the gift of the gospel in us that would move us to entrust the gospel to others. I pray for my friends here that they would even be able to do that this summer. God, I plead with you that every single person in this room would have the privilege in the next year of leading somebody to Christ and beginning to disciple them to lead others to Christ. God, would you give us the privilege of that ministry of multiplication? God, as we do it and the the inevitable suffering comes along with it, would you remind us of these realities? Strengthen us with your grace. Would you do that even this week? God, we need your assistance as we do this. We cannot do this mission on our own strength. And so we plead with you, would you help us to do this all for your glory and that more people would be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.